We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ranking the best offenses in the league for fantasy football. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I've been Gretchen from my newsletter at bengretchen.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, we mentioned on the first week uh, episode of this week that I wrote in, in Stealing Signals a little bit in the intro about this concept of, of the haves and have-nots, the offenses that are good for fantasy and bad for fantasy and, and how this gap is, is only widening. It's something that we've been talking about since last summer. And so because I wrote that in the intro, I decided at the end of my newsletter this week to rank out all the offenses. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it. It seemed like a fun topic for those who are watching over on YouTube. I have the the rankings sort of pulled up in these tiers, but we'll talk through them as well. I did it really quickly. I was kind of just considering pass rate, things like that. Certainly a bump for the teams that tend to play in ways that allow their opponents to score a lot of points too. But yeah, I mean, we talk about these haves and have not offenses so much. So I thought it made sense to kind of talk through the different teams. We like to talk through things on a team level and sort of after the first month of the season, rank which ones are the ones that we're talking about. So then you didn't come out with just the headline here, which is that your very final category is burn it all down. We know that column will go with that as the title for the show. So I came up with that category because my initial little bit was going to be just having the Panthers in their own category and it was going to be burn it all down. And then I was like, well, I can't not have the bears in that category. And I was like, Oh, I can't have the Falcons not in that category. And so the burn it all down category ended up being four teams large, but uh, it also includes the Texans. But yeah, I mean, those are not fun offenses. <laughs> They are not. We must also get some sort of stealth offenses trending into the weaker categories as we go through. It also depends here a little bit on whether or not you are trying to score running back points, passing points. Sometimes those things come together. Sometimes they do not. One of the developments that we have gotten early this season that in some ways after the last couple of years is a tad bit unexpected but had been a hallmark of Andy Reid offenses in the past, the Chiefs have actually scored some running back points. They rank number three in team running back points through four weeks. They are 
sixth or seventh in expected points. And unlike some of the other teams, even though they're trotting out Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Isaiah Pacheco, and Jarek McKinnon, they're actually coming through and scoring. Now, part of that is purely back to Patrick Mahomes, who had some Sandlot highlight reel plays against this elite Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. One of the interesting notes I thought, and I think probably something where Andy Reid wanted to emphasize how he thought the Super Bowl should have gone and getting a little bit of a a shot in foreshadowing what he thought was going to happen. I guess he had told the teams covering the game for the network that he thought this Tampa Bay defense was better than the one that took them down in the Super Bowl. And yet the Chiefs, one of your two very best offenses, handled them like it was nothing. Yeah, that's interesting because certainly the narrative around that Super Bowl was that the Buccaneers defense won that game. But yeah, so I started these tiers. I've already ranked these. We're going to get your thoughts. I'll have to defend some of them, but most of this is going to be, you know, me reading my rankings and you responding. The first category I had was very best offenses, Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs. I kind of, you know, I did this really quick. Probably shouldn't have said very best offenses. The way I was ranking this was more on a team level. Who are the best teams for fantasy football? The Bills and Chiefs have good defenses, which can be bad for their opposition. But we saw, like you mentioned, the Bucs finally play like the Bucs when they played the Chiefs. So if you're a pretty good offense playing against them, by playing against these teams that have these really high pass rate over expected uh, metrics and they're going to throw a lot and they're going to be good and score, you're going to be brought along and you're going to score more and you're going to do more for fantasy. That's what the Bucs did. We finally saw a big receiving game for Fournette and, and really the Bucks backs because Rashad White ends up catching a bunch of balls too. We saw more receiver production than they've had in a lot of their games. If you're a bad offense, you're still going to have to throw a ton against the Bills and Chiefs. They might not. I mean, they might shut you down. So there's I, like that's that can happen in any game. But the idea was the Bills and the Chiefs are both good for their players and they're good for the opposing team. So very best offenses, very best teams for fantasy, whatever. Bills and Chiefs, is there anyone else who belongs in the tier with those two teams? I don't think so, but the Philadelphia Eagles, because they create so much value for so many different players, I think are an interesting one. Miles Sanders was a tough guy to decide, does he go on the zero RB candidates countdown or is he a pure dead zone back? He's one of these players who has, over the last several years, been among the best pre-contact runners in all of football he's in this offense where if you consider that to be at least partially the result of his specific talents and we know that pre-contact running is something that also does relate to the running back skill set then especially now if you have an offense with aj brown and jalen hurts in that run pass option scenario it's going to be tough to stop him he's gotten out into space like it's nothing so far this year and been one of the real sort of fantasy headliners or revelations early in the season but then obviously you have Jalen Hurts who looks like a sort of a world destroyer at the QB position could be the guy who you more or less had to have in tournaments by the time this is all over and then you have AJ Brown who has come through a first month where there were a few games with some challenging elements like the rain last week He's got the elite number two, which will both help him and maybe every once in a while limit his ceiling. But then you had Devontae Smith. I mean, this team, how how do you go about stopping them? I think that they are a lot of fun now that they've added A.J. Brown and are being much more aggressive in the passing game. They are. And, and 
I mean, as we go through this, we should definitely zero in on some points. The Sanders thing is really interesting because he's looked great, like you said. It's interesting to me that in a game, his snapshot was up a little bit because Boston Scott was out and Trey Sermon played a little, but just basically didn't play as much as, as Boston Scott. Kenny Gainwell basically in the same role. Sanders added a little bit more of the early down stuff, whatever you want to call it. But in a game where he had 29 touches, he only had five high value touches. It was a very you know low value touch heavy workload, which is what his workload has been for most of the year. He's not going to have a lot of games like this where he runs 27 times. He has run very efficiently. It's kind of like the J.K. Dobbins thing a little bit, right? Like, And I've heard people make that comparison before, Sean. You yourself may have made that comparison. I have a hard time with it because this obviously was a huge ceiling game. When you can run for 134 yards and two touchdowns, you don't even need a receiving workload. And he did catch two passes in this game, but he's not running all the routes. He's in an offense that doesn't throw to running backs much anyway. <coughs> not getting all of the green zone touches either. Is there concern about what his like weekly ceiling is? Is he more of just a, a high floor type of player? I don't necessarily think so. He's one of the players who, I, again, has this mix to where I, it's going to be difficult to hold him down under four and a half yards per carry. He's got a shot to go to five and a half yards per carry. And the yards are helpful as a little bit of an extra on top of some of those touchdowns, his problem kind of going into the year has been this mix that has been skewed toward the low value side. I thought it was very frustrating last season. And even when he's healthy, that he's not always the back that they go to when they have a touch at the goal line. Now, I think that he probably will be this year. I mean, he's obviously a sell high. And yet at the same time, if he and Clyde Edwards-Alaire maintain a lot of what they've done to this point, I don't think that you can simply say that that's impossible. That they're not going to score to the same levels, but these offenses are so good and they're giving them so many opportunities where they don't even have to be great individually. But Sanders, I think, not great, but good. And a good player in this offense, you and I see the Eagles a little bit differently on the running side of it, where, I mean, one of the reasons why you're not in on Kenny Gainwell is that even in a situation where Boston Scott's out, I mean, Trey Sermon's active, he does find the field a little bit. I mean, I think the Sermon becomes... <laughs> borderline interesting in really deep leagues because I just think this offense is going to score so many points. I think the running backs are going to fall into points in this offense. And again, it just, it depends how desperate you end up being. It depends how many more injuries we get. It depends exactly what your bi-week balance is in terms of when you're going to have guys and when you're not. But this will be the type of offense where if I'm going to take a guy who maybe isn't projected to get a lot of high value touches or maybe even to see the field that much a Kenny Gainwell still a better chance to score for you than players who may have similar profiles in offenses that just aren't nearly as good that makes sense so the next category I had the very best offenses Chiefs and Bills you had the Eagles as maybe being in that group I had the clear halves clear have offenses uh the category following this will be the probably their halves but you at least have to think about it the clear halves had the Los Angeles Chargers in there, as long as Justin Herbert's healthy. Uh, and especially the way that their defense plays, they tend to kind of bend, don't break, and give up a lot of yards to opposing teams. Had the Eagles right in there as you know, the fourth on, on my overall list. Baltimore Ravens, Miami Dolphins, with how aggressively they've played and, and how I think their scheme has worked in their favor so far. 
the Cincinnati Bengals and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have not been off to a hot start. But again, this is forward looking. I think the Bucs are going to be pass heavy. I think they're going to be a team that plays in a lot of shootouts going forward. Uh, they were a little run heavy in weeks one and two. They look better in in week four. I mean, they were trailing the whole game and they ran six times in the entire game and threw over 50 times. That's not going to be what their offense is going to look like most of the time, but they're still, I think, a clear half offense in the probably halves, but you at least think about it. I kind of want to do these two teams to get uh, two groups together. I have the Arizona Cardinals who've had some problems, but at least they play fast. The Detroit Lions, who maybe should be higher because not only do they generate so many points, their opponents do. They have had the highest scoring first four weeks in NFL history in terms of combined points that they scored and their opponents have scored. Minnesota Vikings, Las Vegas Raiders, who also have an interesting running back in Josh Jacobs that I think we should talk a little about, but but they look like a team that will play fun as well. The Rams, the 49ers, and the Packers. So again, the, the clear halves that had Chargers, Eagles, Ravens, Dolphins, Bengals, Bucks, probably has to be leads. Think about it. Cardinals, Lions, Vikings, Raiders, Rams, 49ers, Packers. What do you think about these two groups? Well, the first thing that jumps out at me in the halves element there is how gross the Dolphins Bengals Thursday night matchup was. Now we know that preparing for those short weeks can be a little bit tricky. You have the Tua injury. How much does the Tua injury and the Bengals predilection for getting Joe Mixon so involved, does that knock them down at all? We've been big fans of these teams. So my 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 thought on this, and it's a great question, is that number one, the Bengals are going to have to shift at some point and they did last year so i guess i'm they were very run heavy early last year when burrow was still rehabbing they don't have that excuse anymore but they did get more pass heavy as the season went along they did have some games where they still went really heavy with Mixon, and they're probably still going to have some this year i guess my thought is i mean joe Mixon. people love the expected points models is, is absolutely crushing the expected points i know sean you look at that a lot with running backs as well, but you tend to have a, a pretty, I think, intelligent look at, at it, or I guess a unique perspective, because I see a lot of people saying, you know, you have to be really high in mixing just because of how high his expected points are. I mean, this week he had seven green zone touches, and that was because on three different drives, he had multiple green zone touches. And we talk about the, how that can trick the expected points model sometimes, where the player's own inefficiency, own ability, inability to score on a touch in close then leads to another touch. Now, there is one element to that, whereas – yeah, they kept giving him the ball close. They gave him seven touches inside the 10-yard line. But he only scores one touchdown, and it was the play where he got pushed into the end zone. And there is something to be said about, okay, if they're going to give him three straight carries inside the 10 and he doesn't score, are they going to consider doing it differently next time? I have to assume that they will. I guess I'm predicting going forward, not just in the in the green zone, but throughout the field, they're going to figure out at some point they need to throw the ball more. Maybe that's wishful thinking. But uh, that's the hope there. And with the Dolphins, I mean, I think the Tua injury, I, I guess I think he's not going to be out that long. As scary as it all was, they've already ruled him out for this week, but they've been very clear to say we're not making any longer decisions. I think they're just biding their time. I kind of think he only misses one game. I think they're kind of just biding their time, and then they're going to wait for the, the, everything to kind of cool down and then bring him back. I mean, they rushed him back after the short week. He obviously wants to play, and they don't seem to actually care very much. So. I mean, it's scary. If he has another concussion, it'll be very, very scary. But I, I guess maybe he misses two weeks. I don't think he's going to miss like four or five weeks. I think he's going to be out very short term. And he's been a, you know, a, a, a good quarterback in this scheme and been good for Tyreek and for Waddle and the explosive plays these guys are generating. It's helped to speed up the games. 
the Bengals game sucked on Thursday night. Like you said, obviously you can point to the Dolphins Ravens game and, and go, I mean, look what the, their explosiveness on offense did for a game environment. Exactly. The Bengals there. I, I mean, this won't come as a surprise to anyone, but you're looking at Joe Mixon having gapped the field and expected points, but also is already at minus 35 fantasy points over expectation. I mean, 35, 35 points in, in one month. It's, it's almost unfathomable, right? And you look at where they are and the expected points to the running backs as a group, the Bengals more or less tied there with the Detroit Lions for second. But in terms of actual points scored, they scored 62 fewer points. Now, especially if DeAndre Swift ends up being out for an extended period of time, you would expect the efficiency levels of those two teams to not exactly meet in the middle, but they're going to come together to an extent, I mean, Joe Mixon is not significantly worse than Jamal Williams, but it, it is a huge anchor for their offense that they're playing it through that way, which I think that at least then raises the question of do they belong more with the Cardinals and Lions or do they belong more with that group? I like where you have them. I just, in, in part, to play a little bit of devil's advocate and in part because I really do think they're doing a lot of things suboptimally. And if they want to be a Super Bowl contender, and if they want to raise the level of all these players, then one of the things too is if Joe Mixon were being used less, would he be scoring more points? I mean, if they were you getting Jamar Chase more involved and getting Mixon, now obviously Mixon's had high value touches, but if you think about how the season's going to go looking forward, is he going to benefit more from some of those touches inside the 20s? Or are they going to benefit more from explosive plays to chase to get down there for those goal line touches? Yeah. I mean, he's not going to be able to get that many goal line touches if they keep calling plays the way that they're doing it right now. I think that this can evolve, but I want to see it, especially since Joe Burrow is obviously more able to move around. He's rushed for some yards. He looks very good. T. Higgins looks very good. To, to have a team clearly in this group, I want the play calling to be where it needs to be. Yeah, I that's fair. I see it there. I, I, I was kind of projecting them for, but I think it's a fair uh, one to highlight. I like the way you emphasize Mixon's negative expected points, negative 35 expected points. Just to kind of complete the thought I was making, I think a lot of people will hear that and say, doesn't that have to regress? Like that, it can't be that bad. And the answer is like, yeah, probably to some degree, but also what I was trying to emphasize is the only reason he's had the opportunity to get that far to the negative is he's getting stuffed on these really high value touches. And then they're getting more opportunities because of that. He had the three in a row. This is racking up these huge expected points numbers, which people will point out with expected points models sometimes end up being for one drive. You know, when he has three carries inside the 10, more expected points than you could even get on a single drive. If you did score the touchdown, you're getting six points for the TD. He might end up having eight expected points or something when he gets three carries from the five yard line and in where the maximum he could have got was 6.5, right? And he ends up with so many, and maybe it's more than eight, I don't know, but so many expected points that he can build this huge negative basically through his own ineptitude. And so, yes, there is some, he's gotten a ton of work and there's re regression that's needed. But the other side of it, the, what you're emphasizing is he did get all, all these opportunities and the more and more negative it gets as it speaks to the player himself is relevant, I think. He got all these opportunities and continued to fail. He never did punch in some of these touchdowns. He got he has one TD on the year, and he I think he leads the NFL in uh, green zone touches. He does. He has three and a half green zone touches per game. I wrote about that this week. Uh, there's only two more backs that have more than two per game that have played all four games. 
I think uh, Josh Jacobs has 2.5. Jamal Williams has three per game. And Mixon's at 3.5. He has almost double the fourth highest number of green zone touches, which again is because of, in part, because of his own inability to convert or the offense's inability or whatever. But when you talk about how he himself is stacking up the negative expected points, that's not a good sign for him, right? That's a bad, that looks bad for the player. But I think you're right to highlight the Bengals as potentially me being too optimistic on them. On the probably haves, but you at least think about it. I'll just run through those teams again. The Cardinals, who have not been playing well, but at least they play fast, right? They, they, I think, are running the most plays in the game per game in the NFL right now. You have the Lions again; they're scoring points. Their opponents are scoring points. You have the Vikings. I mean, maybe they belong lower because they ha- have not been purely what people wanted with the the Kevin O'Connell takeover. They looked better in Week Four in London. Got Justin Jefferson going a lot more, and yet they almost lose that game to a Saints team that is really beaten up, doesn't have a lot of their guys. Andy Dalton is starting. Will Lutz gets the double doink or else he's forcing OT with that kick. I mean, that was one of the craziest endings we'll ever see with how he hit the upright and the crossbar and, and, the, and the kick somehow didn't stay in. He had already hit a 61-yarder to tie the game in the final two minutes. The Vikings went down, got a quick field goal, and then the Saints got into field goal range again for a 60-yarder. He almost had two game-tying 60-plus-yard field goals in the final two minutes, which would have been just incredible. I've never seen so much drama in the kicking game. Sorry for even spending a minute on that, but it was amazing. I had the Raiders on here. The Rams, who are another team that I questioned. The 49ers, another team that I kind of questioned because they can run so much to kind of ruin games. And the Green Bay Packers, again, another team that plays slow, but they're at least efficient. And they tend to let other teams, they like to let teams run against them. We saw that with the Patriots. Patriots went very run heavy against them and stayed in this game. But there's at least production in the off, you know, in, in the in the game. Typically, they do let teams run effectively against them. And they themselves, the Packers, are efficient with their limited play volume. They like to run the clock, the play clock way down, but they're efficient. Any of these teams jump out as maybe not being the, the next category after this I have as have contenders, but serious questions linger. Any of these teams that are that I've listed as probably has, but you at least think about it, are they more serious questions linger for these teams? Once we get into this category, it's fun to think about what your priorities are. And as a fantasy manager, is the the offense, the play calling, is it the QB? Is it that a rising tide lifts all boats? Or are you willing to take either the run game or the pass game because you know going in that it's going to be good or, or going to be bad? You don't necessarily have to have all the players in an offense score well if you just get the ones that you've bet on to have consistent scoring levels. That would be my other little quibble with the Dolphins is just that we haven't had Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds really do quite yet what we want to see there. But perhaps the fact that Edmonds has actually scored all right without having some of those other things is a good example of the way the offense really is very positive. You look at this here, you mentioned the Arizona Cardinals. They are at 25.4 seconds to snap, 34% no huddle in the top for there in terms of plays per 60 minutes. This is a team that isn't all there yet, but I think that you have to be actually cautiously optimistic about how Kyler Murray has played without the weapons. After a first like game and a half where it looked like maybe Marquise Brown was going to be a mild bust or at least not a difference maker for this team, he has really gone off and looks like a player who, number one, is going to be great for fantasy, and number two, will make a difference within this offense. And then as they continue to get people back, 
We got a little bit of a Trey McBride sighting in this past game. You get Rondell Moore like catching passes way out of bounds, but looking like someone who, I mean, people were critical again that they were using him in ways that were frustrating and you didn't have any of the signature plays that you want to see. But this is the first game back for him after a serious hamstring injury. I don't know, maybe that's just excuses, but I like him coming back. And now he ran a ton of routes, by the way. I mean, which was great to see. And we've moved through two thirds of DeAndre Hopkins' suspension. Yeah. Once he's back, this that team, I just think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think if you have Kyler Murray, we talked about some of the quarterbacks that we were in on in the previous episode. We didn't necessarily highlight a ton of Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray, who would have been the other two guys kind of in that mix of players that we were drafting. Lamar Jackson's been obviously a massive hit through the first month. I think the Kyler Murray teams are going to come on and be tough to deal with over the last two thirds of the season. If you drafted Kyler Murray, I think you're going to be very happy there. Yeah. Goodbye low, probably at quarterback. And once we get to the full offense being there, you're going to start to see the value of whoever is there at running back. Now this game was a little bit interesting because they did deploy all three guys, including somewhat oddly Williams and Benjamin, both early as opposed to kind of late as a breather types of backs. I'm very biased in favor of, you know, I thought that he looked good, but as the offense develops going forward, if you have an injury to James Conner, which you've had a lot in the past, and we did have a portion of a game where he missed a serious chunk of time. I think that both Benjamin and Williams now actually would, would score fine for you. You would want to have those guys stashed. And again, so in terms of the probably halves, I think that they clearly are there. The Detroit Lions are doing it without their guys. I mean, this is going to be a team that has Amon Ra, DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson, which again, I make a pitch for this in my Monday article of the week talking about why I believe that his stat profile actually just firmly put him in that top group. He looks to me now like someone who could finish as the tight end three because the gap, the preseason gap between him and Darren Waller and George Kittle has closed in a lot of ways. Now, can he maintain that volume when Amon Ra is back if Jamison Williams actually gets out there and plays? No, it'll be different in some ways. But again, one of the things he was dealing with last season was double and triple teams while he had two serious injuries. If he's healthy and is having single teams because teams have to look to take away Amon Ross St. Brown, who in many ways has still been the most impressive player of the entire 2022 season. You talk about injuries, and that's one of the most frustrating ones where he gets injured in the middle of that game. The Lions, despite the presence of Jerry Goff, I think are probably have clear, maybe even a half. Yeah, they might have they might have belonged to especially you think about Jameson Williams coming back, they might have belonged a tier higher. I think that the outcome of the Jerry Goff versus Sean McVay, whatever you want to call it, was pretty conclusively answered by the Rams winning last year's Super Bowl and Matthew Stafford playing well. But Goff is coming back and also putting up his own little argument here, showing that when he's in an offense that has dynamic playmakers, I mean, this is a guy who put up huge numbers when the Rams went to the Super Bowl. And I mean, can he do it? And it is younger too than I think people sometimes think. I mean, this is a guy who could play for a long time yet for the Detroit Lions if they decide it's him. I mean, this is going to be such a talented team that, I mean, do you really think that Jared Goff is going to be the long-term guy? It still seems like probably no, but he's 27 years old. I mean, this is exactly where I would have went with it. This is, uh, and we said at the, the beginning of the first show of this week, 
that you're going to get your Jared Goff victory lap. I, I needed, and we didn't really get into it in the first show, but I, I you've been joking all offseason that I have not been getting in on the Jared Goff hype enough. I definitely need to to comment on that, which is what you just said. I, I guess I was sure that Goff was just a two-year, if you look at his contract, they can get out of it after this year. The two-year bridge quarterback, while well, they got everything else in place, and they were going to hit a QB in a 2023 class, and they were going to move forward with an exciting young rookie and all these weapons. And that might still happen, but Goff is playing to a degree that, I mean, I kind of thought he wouldn't be a starting quarterback after 2022. And he's definitely going to be a starting quarterback. I think if he plays to this level or anywhere close to it the rest of this year, it might still not be with the Lions because they are sort of in this youth movement. But if he does get cut or whatever because of cap reasons, because his contract's so big, and now it, it finally frees some money up to let him go, there's less dead money after this year and all those elements. If he does get cut, which is not a guarantee, they might keep him and and also draft a rookie or not draft a rookie. Who knows? But if he does get cut, I think he's now one of the best free agent quarterbacks. I mean, he's been playing to that degree. So I, I, I'm seeing what, what you've been, been saying a lot more. I, I didn't expect him to play at this level. He's been very impressive. Well, it's been fun. And I think that, again, we talk about the haves. A coaching staff that wants to accentuate players strengths and not just one player strengths but so many of the strengths of their guys and then again as you mentioned it does help if you have to score a lot of points because your defense can't stop anybody you play a lot of games in domes to where you're not going to have to consistently deal with the weather that we saw in some other games last week this is a very positive dynamic for the detroit lions there's just no way you could have expected them to go out and do what they did without their best players last week yeah they make a lot of sense so the next group was half contenders, but serious. I, I did want to ask you, Ben, oh. before we before we go to that one, though, you put the Raiders in this group, which I, I kind of like and I kind of am interested in because you have been, well, as we kind of play it back and forth off of each other, you get to choose the role of the, the Derek Carr skeptic. And I've been disappointed at how he's played in the early going under yeah, he sucks. Josh. Mc... <laughs> <laughs> Josh McDaniels sucks. But their defense is bad, and they like to throw, and they get in these shoot Like, they're going to be in shootouts. I almost had them lower, but – like you can't, I don't think you can have them as like a serious question. Like they're going to play shootout football and they're going to be good for, for fantasy. I think all year, like, right. It'll be interesting to see as they go forward. I think that they, for a one in three team, I mean, they're still a borderline playoff contender in terms of how good they actually are. I think it's going to be difficult for them with the teams they have ahead of them in the AFC West. The AFC West looked a lot better last week after having just, I mean, it was a travesty across the board for that division in week three. The other thing I would note here, you still have the Los Angeles Rams in the probably halves, even though, I mean, they look awful. I just, again, Cooper Cooper Cup was the NFL MVP by so much last year. And now he's backing that up with a little bit different thing where they have to continually throw him underneath because nothing else in the offense works. Cooper Cup, just unbelievably cool. Take us to the have contenders, but serious questions linger. No, I think those are two great teams to to highlight real quick because the Rams were one I really struggled with, but they're another one where, I mean, it basically is just a Cooper Cup ranking. <laughs> it's like, how do you, I mean, they're a half offense, right? Like probably, I mean, I'm thinking of, like, I, I have them in this category, probably has, but you at least think about it. Like we're definitely thinking about it. And maybe there is, there's questions that linger. And the fact that they're not only, you know, Cup still, still absolutely crushing, but the, the now like Tyler Higby, there's a second weapon that's producing in their passing game. It's not it's not great or anything, but they're consolidated enough, and the way that they do things offensively is good for fantasy because even when they suck, like they have another guy that's going to end up being something, right? It's not like the spread offense where there's 
five guys getting four targets or something. Like now we actually have Tyler Higby as I mean, probably borderline top five tight end just on pure volume. His ADOT is 3.4 or something like that, but he's leading the position in targets and it doesn't seem like that's going to stop because it's, I'm going to look to see if Cup's open downfield. I know Allen Robinson's not open, so if he's not, then I'm just going to throw to my outlet Tyler Higby, and that's the the read every single play. And they can't run anything. I, just as, in terms of the one man probably has, Matthew Stafford, there's there's no way you don't score fantasy points when you have Matthew Stafford. And one of the most absurd things in the last decade of football was when the Lions got one of their many new front office coaching staff moves and they were going to fix Matthew Stafford. It's like, no, why don't you fix the other 50 everyone on the roster? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and then you also brought up the Raiders. I wanted to talk about Josh Jacobs for a second, because I I think he's interesting in the context of Miles Sanders. Sanders looks like he's going to be a lot more efficient, but Jacobs has been a reasonably efficient runner, not a very good one, but reasonably efficient. Last week I said, he's a similar, like sort of discount Joe Mixon in stealing signals in that, you know, he's not going to be a massively efficient player, but he's get, he was getting a pretty big work. Or maybe I said that two weeks ago or recently, but I've been somewhat optimistic about Josh Jacobs' usage early in the year. Then he has this monster game in week four. I think he's almost like a buy high right now because he went out and he actually played 89% of the snaps, which is incredibly rare. I think the season high for any running back across the NFL is 94, if I'm not mistaken. I know McCaffrey's had a couple games. I think Saquon had a 94% this past week, but I know he's been at like 92, 94. McCaffrey's had a couple games now in the 91, 92 range. You don't see 90% snap shares at running back. So just the fact that he's playing that much is massive. His routes were up at 62% of dropbacks, which was a season high for him. He showed us the receiving ability last year, actually was fifth in the NFL among running backs and catches last year. We, I mean, I, leading the charge, thought, but we, I think, as a community, thought that was definitely going to come down. I know when I did my projection podcast with Mike Leone, we talked about how we were both projecting him to have fewer targets than he had receptions last year. Obviously, you're going to have more targets than receptions, in part because of this conversation of the James White role in the Raiders offense. That role doesn't exist. I mean, yeah, Bolden's done it a little bit. Amir Abdullah's done it a little bit. But Jacobs has like steadily consolidated the work, and now being an 89% guy who's running a ton of routes and also has all of their green zone touches, has all 10 so far. He is a little high on the green zone side of things in terms of that's going to need to regress a little bit, uh, like I was talking about with Mixon as well. But for a bigger back that runs somewhat effectively and is going to get his teams working close on an offense that's not going to be terrible, and he's now going to run quite a bit of the routes, why doesn't he have top five upside now the rest of the season? I mean, I, I kind of think that he, for people who have a lot of depth at receiver, and I get a lot of these questions, from my subscribers who draft the way that we you know, talk about all the time, Sean, they got a lot of depth at receiver. They've hit on the Devonta Smith and the Garrett Wilsons, and now they have seven, eight good receivers. And it's almost too much good you know, receiver depth, which can be tricky. And running backs can change value so quick. And I'm, I try to tell people, look, it's fine to have production on your bench at receiver. But my question is, would you trade you know, a, a receiver from a, a roster that has a still would have enough depth that, that is in sort of a home league that has a lot of receiver depth and you're kind of struggling at running back, would you trade the, the, the name I threw out was Mike Williams who had another big game this week, but has been less productive with Keenan Allen out that I would have liked to see so far. I think I trade Mike Williams for Josh Jacobs straight up in a home league where you want to just get some running back points. Cause I think Jacobs actually does have 18 to 20 point running back ceiling now. 
uh, in a way that not a lot of backs do when he's going to, if he has the potential to play 89% of the snaps in a game, what are your thoughts on Jacobs? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, it's tricky because he's been so good and he has consolidated the role and yet it's almost impossible for it not to go in the wrong direction from a level that is still a little bit tricky. So he's at 16.5 expected points per game. That does sit fifth. So you talk about, can he be a top five running back? He definitely can with the way this is playing out. And definitely now with Javante Williams, sadly being out, his efficiency is more or less just right on. So he's scoring the points that his workload would imply. He's in a group there of, eight to 10 guys who are sort of in that mid 16 to mid 15 range. Probably the other players within that group, you're talking about guys like Austin Eckler, Brees Hall, Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb. Those guys probably all more talented, probably all have a better ability to outperform the workload going forward. And I still think there's a risk here that they get Zamir White going, especially if they find themselves in a little bit more of a developmental state later on in the year the slow start is something that causes a little bit of potential damage in terms of how he's actually playing he's been unreal right you're talking about 3.6 yards after contact his evasion rate and obviously these things in a four game sample are very different than a full season sample but because he's got like a 23 broken tackle percentage and a 19 percent forced missed tackle percentage you're talking about like 42 percent there's only one other player aaron jones between him and nick chubb 
who is at 27%. And Nick Chubb at 27% is a little bit above his normal level, but not surprising because it's Nick Chubb. I mean, he just <laughs> does that constantly. Someone who's averaging 5.7 yards per attempt because Nick Chubb is at four yards after contact per attempt. I mean, can Josh Jacobs sustain that? Obviously not. And yet uh, it's one of these things with efficiency that I always want to emphasize. The extreme levels of efficiency cannot be sustained, but they're a very good sign for the actual talent level that the player brings, which is something that makes a difference then when they go through a little bit of a downturn from an efficiency perspective, the coach remembers those things and it helps you with volume. It helps you in terms of the way the player is viewed by everyone, which those things are positives in terms of, you know, how wide your mode is, what you can do down the line because you've banked those plays where you looked so good. So we have a lot of things that point in different directions. The fact that he has played like that and still isn't outperforming his opportunity, there's a flukiness to that, Yeah, but it's also concerning. And I mean, yeah. I don't think he can maintain the expected point level. I don't think that, I mean, he could probably, well, you know, he could probably actually do better from a points over expectation, but it's going to require specific elements that haven't happened to this point. It just is this mix to where if you buy, you have to understand that there are also concerns. Yeah, so I'm hoping that, I mean, obviously, you look at his ADP, the fantasy community was not in on him, and, and we weren't either, but it was really cheap relative to what he did last year. Like, there was already a pretty clear market sentiment that was down on Josh Jacobs relative to what he did last year. And so part of me is saying that you're not having to buy at the price that he just performed out this week, which if you were, then I wouldn't want you to, but I was trying to articulate this and stealing signals. Or even the price that he's performed at for like the last nine games. Right. Right. And so the idea is you can maybe still, you're you're buying high, but you're maybe still buying on a player that people don't realize is actually, well, I mean, just the market sentiment's not very positive on him. And my, so the one pushback I'd have on everything you said, I think was really great, especially those notes on uh, how how efficient he's been as a runner, the evasion rate and all those things. They can't say that high. It's, it's going to be tough. And he's still only been basically even in fantasy points over expected. All that makes sense. The 16.5 expected points is the part that I want to push back on a little bit because he started the year 60% snap rate, 72% in week two. Didn't run a lot of routes in either of those games. Week three, he was sick and had to fly out late to that Nashville game. He goes back to a 64% snap rate. But his routes actually spiked. And I think I was thought that was kind of interesting. I think that was maybe an indication that they were already responding to some of what you just said. When we talk about efficient players or players doing things well, evasion rate being really strong, teams tend to play them more, right? Week three, he's a little sick, maybe plays as much as he can, but they were using him more in the passing games. Well, they're like, hey, we're, he's, he's our three down back now, kind of. Week four is when we really saw that all come together. He plays an 89% snap rate. So this is actually the first game where he's been in this big of a role. I don't think he's going to be a 90% snap rate guy every week. But if he's at 80% plus, that's not something he had hit yet. He hadn't even hit 75% in the first three weeks. He's at 80% plus. Like If he can be even 75% to 80% going forward, there's just more snaps. And so there's more plays to where that 16.5 expected points might actually be 17.5 or 18 going forward even if he's not particularly efficient on that he might be higher than some of those and i also agree with you that chubb and and cmc and eckler and all those guys are going to be more likely to be positive on the efficiency side my argument with jacobs is like his actual expected points numbers might be underselling what we just saw in week four and what what might transpire going forward because he's played well enough that now it seems like they're saying 
screw it. We're not going to do a passing down role. We're just going to play Josh Jacobs. You don't get this type of workload from a lot of backs. And you do get something like this from time to time when you have a new coaching staff and they come in and they're like, we're going to use Amir White. We're going to use these guys we brought with us. And then they actually get an extended look at some of the incumbents and they're like, wait, I mean, we didn't actually need to make changes. These guys are, are very, very good. I guess I still would expect his receiving work to be more similar to the first three weeks than week four. I think that part of it will be hard to, to really elevate to those levels. But yeah, I mean, you'd be very hard pressed to have a more positive week four than he had. Yeah. I don't know how much to buy it. I'm, I'm typically biased against Josh Jacobs. So I, I guess I'm just sort of thinking out loud and thinking through it. He's not somebody that I would pay a high price to go acquire, but he might be somebody you can get somewhat cheaply. And in terms of there just not being a lot of running back upside across the whole league right now, like Josh Jacobs is a guy that does have a little bit based on what, what we've seen over these last couple of weeks. But I, I think you know some really important other considerations as well. Uh, so the have contenders, but serious questions linger. I have, so this, you mentioned this when we were on the last group that probably has, but at least think about it. We're getting into this range where you're like, depends what you're thinking about. Because, you know, I, I was already thinking about like the Cleveland Browns in this range. I ended up ultimately moving the Cleveland Browns quite a ways down, but they're running back for them, for their team. Their running backs are, are getting a ton of points. And so I almost split them and said the Cleveland Browns as a running back offense are, are good. But their passing offense probably not great, and they also are not good for game environments the way that they run the ball. In this group of have contenders, where serious questions linger, I have the Dallas Cowboys because they tend to play fast. They've been okay with Cooper Rush. We don't know what they're going to be like with Dak. They looked really bad in Week One when Dak was under center, but I think their offense is at least schemed somewhat intelligently that they're kind of interesting. I did note here maybe the defense is too good because their their defense looks really really strong for them to play in a lot of shootouts. The Steelers I put here. I think Kenny Pickett opens up the offense. We talked about this a little bit on the first show of this week. Their inability to run, they've not been a very effective running team, I think is actually a positive for their uh, you know, potential for shootouts and things like that. They have shown, you know, certainly over Ben Roethlisberger's career, to be willing to go pretty pass-heavy. They have the weapons. Uh, their defense is not as good as it was when you know T.J. Watt was healthy. He'll be back, I think, eventually. But they could be in some shootouts. I have the Jacksonville Jaguars here. Some people might have them even higher at this point and have the Denver Broncos. Again, serious questions lingering. They kind of fit in this group, but maybe they do. If we're just looking forward, maybe they are probably haves. I don't know. What do you think about this sort of transition group where I feel like you can make a case any of these teams could be haves already or have nots already as or or going forward with a team like the Jaguars, maybe you're saying this is all uh, you know not to be believed and they're going to be have nots going forward. What do you think about these four squads? I'm excited about this Pittsburgh Steelers team. After we get a couple weeks of Kenny Pickett, I think you're going to be able to move them up. The talent they have in the passing game is just too extreme with Deontay Johnson, George Pickens. We have a, a new writer uh, at Rotoviz who is doing a Monday article for us. Seamus Carr had some really cool notes on weeks one and two for Pickens versus weeks three and four. He is emerging so quickly now. And when you also have Pat Fryermuth taking that step forward, this team, even without a running game, is going to be dynamic. And I think that's going to help Najee Harris to the point where he's going to fall into some of these points that we talk about Joe Mixon falling into as the season progresses. This is going to be positive for him as well. The Cowboys are an interesting one because I would like them to be supporting more guys. It's really just CeeDee Lamb. He's had a nice bounce back after that poor week one, but you've got Pollard 
and Elliott both sitting at a range of EP that almost makes, I mean, they both have standalone value, but neither of them are startable in that you would actually want to put them out there on a team that is evolving in the direction of being a contender for your title. If neither one of them has enough EP and they're both in that 11-ish range and they're both underperforming that, this team's having a hard time running the ball. Dalton Schultz has had some injuries, but has been a disappointment as a second weapon. Now they get Michael Gallup back. He scores a touchdown last week. If Gallup adds that extra level and then Prescott comes back, one of the things that you have happen sometimes in these stretches is that Prescott has a very bad opening game. There are some red flags with him, including the fact that he continues to struggle with a variety of injuries. And then Cooper Rush comes out and plays pretty well. And you think, well, maybe it doesn't even make that much of a difference. Well, it's just, I mean, Prescott obviously had the, the, bad first week it sounds like he won't be able to go this week probably week six if you're understanding that in the same way seems like that at that point the cowboys should become pretty fun but but they're not there yet and the fact that they have such a good defense means that they have in some ways a little bit less incentive to push and figure some of those things out which they might if they were the detroit lions and you had to put up 40 points just to stay in it so from that perspective i think we have a little bit of a weakness. I think with the Jaguars, you saw last week this issue of when there is some adversity, the fact that these receivers are not superstars maybe causes some problems. So I actually think that Zay Jones is playing well enough that him not being there negatively impacted this game. The other little concern that I would have, and I assume it's just kind of protecting these guys in a rain game where you weren't going to win, but if ETN and Robinson are already splitting and then you have Jamichael Hasty, even if it's just for a couple of plays going in there and taking some of the receiving work, I mean, that's a red flag for me. Not, so, not good. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, these guys are, could move into that range, but they definitely have questions to answer as you pose here. And then after that, I had this glass half full or glass half empty tier at the New York Jets. I wrote that it all comes down to Zach Wilson at the New York Giants. I've noted with them, that it's sort of impossible to know what they might look like if Kadarius Tony and Wondell Robinson come back healthy and they actually have some receivers on their team because it's been a little tough to see what they might want to be. But so far, I think they've pretty clearly been have-nots other than for Saquon. I have the Washington Commanders here. I think really early they look like they maybe were a haves, but I think they're kind of, for me, they're more of a glass-half-empty team. And I have the New Orleans Saints here. Obviously, we have Jameis Winston throwing up a ton of air yards. But other than that, not a lot to be excited about with the Saints. They also have a good defense. And then after this tier, I have the probably have-nots. And so we're kind of probably comparing these two tiers to each other. And in that one, I have the Seattle Seahawks. I wrote that it's probably recency bias to have them higher. They had the big game with the Lions. Weeks one and two were really bad. And they're going to have some more games like that. The Cleveland Browns, I wrote that the running backs are fine. Mentioned them. But they're, they're sort of bad for game environments. The Tennessee Titans. The Indianapolis Colts, those two teams just don't – they look like have-nots. I mean, I, I mean, Traylon Burke's injury is so disappointing, but he actually looked like a positive for this offense for the Titans, and now he's out. And, I mean, I was already kind of worried about whether this offense would be good enough for him to be someone we'd start on a weekly basis. I mean, I hope he's back quick, but he might end up having sort of a lost regular you know, first season because of just how bad the Titans' offense is. I'm kind of curious your thoughts there. And the Patriots are the last one to have, and they probably have nots. Their running backs are fine because they're getting a ton of running, but they are bad for game environments too. 
you get a couple of these teams playing each other and you get into pretty slow, bad games. Titans and Colts, for example, played this week. Not a particularly fun fantasy game. So, again, glass half full or empty. I had the Jets, Giants, Commanders, Saints. Probably have not Seahawks, Browns, Titans, Colts, Patriots. Any thoughts on any of these teams? But I I guess mainly the the half full, half empty teams. Are you half full or half empty on some of those teams? I'm going to go half full on the Jets. Zach Wilson is going to turn the corner. they got too many weapons. That team is just too much fun. Man, I... The Giants are a crazy one because, I mean, this might be the least talent any team has ever run out at wide receiver, and yet they have the coaching staff that puts these guys in position to succeed. You've got to go like barely half full with that one. The Commanders, it's mostly empty right now. It's going to be mostly full when they eventually make the move (laughs) to Sam Howell. The New Orleans Saints, they have Andy Dalton, my guy there. Poor man's Jerry Goff. I mean, if you can be a poor man's Jerry Goff, you got to win the job over Jameis Winston. Seahawks, half full, man, half full. I mean, Gino's playing good, and their defense is bad, and so maybe they're sort of a half, but you know they're going to have some Pete Carroll games coming up pretty soon. Where they're Rashad Penny rushes for 200 yards. I mean, that's half full. They're, they're going to run 45 for plays yards. this week, and we're going to – after they run 45 plays this week, we're going to be having a different conversation next, next week. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. They have three elite tight ends. <laughs> That's why I can't get on the field because all their tight ends are so good. The Titans and the Colts. Then you were right on the nose with Michael Pittman after week one. I mean, he's going to have some good games. Matt Ryan. Talk about the three good tight ends. The teams, the Titans were so convinced that if they could stop Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman, they would win this game that they decided to simply not cover at all. Mo Cox, Jelani Woods, those guys. It, crazy game there with the tight ends. But those teams are definitely have-nots. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think the New England Patriots are not only in the next group up, but they are half full. Mac Jones, really cool aggressiveness, downfield throwing ability. Too optimistic for this. Game. He's he's a franchise quarterback, a franchise quarterback. When he comes back from that ankle injury, they've got Jacoby Myers, who I'm completely giving you the W on. They have Nelson Aguilar looking all right. They're going to get Tyquan Thornton back. They have two of the best running backs in football, and Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. The defense knows what's coming, and you can't stop Harris. You can't stop Stevenson. But it's not good for Half fantasy full. when they're Half running full. that much. You mentioned the uh, or, or you you pass on the Browns. There. Where are you at on them with Brissett? I mean, certainly, obviously, Deshaun Watson's a different discussion down the line, but where are you at on them? Well, I've been very impressed with Brissett, and I think you have to give him a lot of credit from a reality perspective. We talk about these quarterbacks like a Geno Smith, these guys who fail in situations where they were sort of set up to fail. Now, I mean, he was on the New England Patriots. That's a good situation, but not ready to be a quarterback in the chances that he got, not ready to be the starting quarterback when the Indianapolis Colts have to go to him on an emergency basis when Andrew Luck retires. He's pedaled through that. He's looked pretty good. It's been a weird first four games. You have game one where Amari Cooper doesn't look draftable. You have game four where Amari Cooper doesn't look draftable. You have the two games in between where Amari Cooper looks like he's going to be the fantasy MVP. This game, Cooper doesn't really do that much, but he gets the ball to Donovan Peoples-Jones. David Njoku has taken a step forward. We're finally starting to get a little bit of just tiny little flashes from David Bell, somebody I think who actually will play a pretty significant role in maybe even not the second half, but the final third of the season. 
I like what he's done. I think that the coaching staff, if you're going to have a run-based offense, you want Kevin Stefanski. He's done an excellent job. I still think this is a straightforward half-not team. The burn it all down tier was the Texans, Falcons, Panthers, and Bears. We mentioned that at the top of the show. Is there any reason for optimism in this tier at all? Well, Damian Pierce, somebody who, I mean, he looks good. He looks fun and actually got targets in this game. The, the Texans have to have a different quarterback. You can't you can't move the ball with Davis Mills. I mean, in fairness to him, though, he's not surrounded by a lot of talent. Brandon Cook's decent, but they just need more. It's just like with Justin Fields, you need more. If you're going to evaluate, how can you evaluate Davis Mills with those guys? You got to give him more. As we went through that, I found myself feeling more optimistic about the teams than I felt as I was watching them on Sunday. Did that? Did the exercise have any of that for you? We have, we you're, have you're an optimist. I'm a pessimist. Like we've, we've figured this out a long time ago. I, I thought it was uh, interesting going through that, how much optimism you had for so many of these teams, because I went through and I was like, I, I'll say when I, when I ranked the teams, I had more in the halves than I thought I would. There was more teams that I was like, so just from a sheer quantity perspective, but there's a lot of them that the, the glass half full or half empty ones are probably all going to be empty and everything below that is just, We've seen a lot of bad football so far. Hopefully we get some of these offense moving in the right direction. I love chatting with you for your optimism. And I, I, I really do hope that, uh, you know, you're right on a lot of those spots because we could use some, some deeper uh, production across the NFL. Yeah. It has been frustrating to watch the scoring environment. I think that will improve. You can't do anything about weather, but hopefully we don't lose too many more of the, the best games. I mean, again, kind of going back to this last week, the most frustrating thing is just that Eagles Jaguars was a game where we could see Jalen hurts fully explode and become a fantasy MVP candidate. But even more than that, it was a chance for the Jaguars to announce themselves as this new team, Trevor Lawrence to put his stamp on the 2022 season and say, I'm here for real. The Jaguars are a contender. We can compete with the Eagles we were really robbed of any of the interesting elements because of how bad the weather was there. And then you just don't get that many chances to have Ravens bills and for it to be played in a game where elite players, I mean, it's one thing for Rashad Bateman who I'm biased on and can't really evaluate that well. And is a young unproven player to be dropping all these passes or not making the plays, but you're getting everybody dropping all of the passes. You have Stefan Diggs not doing much. You have Mark Andrews shut down to lose the bills Ravens game. That should have been one for the ages. You know, that part is frustrating. But, you know, those things are fluky. Those things will happen. We've got lots of games and domes. We've got so many fun things that did happen. I mean, there aren't going to be that many times this year we get a Lions-Seahawks game. So after a little bit of time to decompress, sometimes the cool things really come out. I think that there are a lot of teams that will evolve throughout the course of this year. If you have a lot of losses on Sunday, then Sunday night and Monday morning can be rough. If you have to do a lot of content, you know, you're trying to be very balanced, not get too overwrought and yet not like ignore what happened. I mean, you just, people won't respect the work that you're doing if, if you ignore the reality of the games. But then as the week moves along, I, I think it's easier to find an equilibrium and to see all of the ways that these teams and these guys are going to go out and just, you know, work from sunup to sundown every day and get better. and. We've got young quarterbacks. We've got emerging players. We've got such great storylines. I think 2022 is still going to be a really cool season. We wish as much health as possible on everybody. I was disappointed on Sunday, but I'm looking forward to week five. So, wouldn't expect uh, a, any other 
picture from th- than that from you. So we will be back with a third show. Probably we'll have to see our producer, Colin Kelly, going to his team. The Green Bay Packers are playing in London this weekend. If we don't talk to you, good luck to everyone in week five. If we do, we'll, we'll have some more fun chats. So uh, I'm Sean Siegel with me as always has been Gretch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. Then again, it's not just the Stealing Signals breakdowns. You get cool info like this, this exercise that Ben did in that subscription. You also get the third article, usually, that he's been putting out. Input volatility, that one's really cool. Sign up for Stealing Lions. You can get Ben's and Dalton Kate's analysis on team games, player props, all those types of things that is a way to move off of some of the most frustrating fantasy developments. If you're having some of those, you can make that money back. You can have a big weekend by taking the, the bets in stealing lines. You can join us over at Rotoviz using the coupon code RBRadio2022. Get that 10% off a one-year subscription at checkout. Everybody who wants to leave us a rating and review, we always appreciate those. If you leave a comment, anybody who's watching on YouTube, all of those things help us. If you don't actually watch this on YouTube, but every once in a while, think, how could I be of assistance? Not that you're asking yourself that and you're just listening to the podcast, but go leave a, a thumbs up or a little comment there on the YouTube. Those things are just so meaningful for us as it relates to the algorithm and being able to reach a wider audience. You guys are fantastic. We'll talk to you soon.